Hello and welcome to Dream City Omaha. My name is Marissa and I want to thank you for joining us today. If this is your first time with us, please let us know by texting WELCOME to 402-383-1874. Now sit back as service is about to begin. Amen. Thank you, Marissa. Come on, give it up for Marissa. Great job. How's everybody doing today? Good. It's, it's good to see all of you that are, that are here with us in person. Uh, it's good to see those of you that are just finally getting out of hibernation. I know some of you have been, have been staying at home over the last few weeks just because it was so cold. Yeah. yeah. Unashamedly, raise your hand. That's fine because I would have too. Like, I don't blame you. I'm jealous of you. And so it's good to see you out of hibernation. Those of you joining us online, thank you for being with us. We've got people from Missouri, from North Dakota, and from Saskatchewan, Canada, eh? All the Canadians. Don't you? Do they say don't you know? Or just, just, oh, that's Minnesota. Canada's just A. And Gradge, and Loonies, and Toonies, and Tollet. Tollets. That's all I know. That's all the Canadian I know. I know that like, like, that's not a language. I know. Uh, but thank you for being with us. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Today we're going to continue and possibly conclude. I can't, I can't say that for sure whether or not this is going to be our last uh, week in the book of Nehemiah or maybe we're going to do one more week. Uh, still trying to pray through that. But we're going to continue either way and we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, just to give you a very brief uh, recap for those of you that maybe are joining us for the first time or you're joining us online because a friend shared the video. Uh, the, the book of Nehemiah is a, a historical book found in the Old Testament, but should not be read on its own because the, the first century believers would have, would have had the books of Ezra and Nehemiah really together in one book. They were the same story, uh, the story of, of the Israelites returning from captivity back to the land of Judah, back to Jerusalem. And, and what we find is that in Nehemiah chapter one, he's given a report that the walls are still torn down. He's burdened by that, goes to God in prayer for that. And, and really his heart, Nehemiah's heart, is to go back and to rebuild a broken culture and society. Some of you are like, that sounds similar to what we're living in today. We recognize the things that are broken down. We recognize the things that are in ruin or covered in rubble in our culture and our society today. And really that's Nehemiah's heart. But before Nehemiah could rebuild a broken culture and society, Ezra, and really even before Ezra, Zerubbabel had to go back and rebuild the broken temple. And when you read the two books together, you see that anytime you try and address an external problem, you first must address the internal problem. Before the culture could be rebuilt, the place of worship had to be rebuilt. Before society could be restored, the, the altar of God had to be restored. And in our lives, what that means for us is anytime we see something that needs to be rebuilt or restored or fixed around us, we first must make sure that the place of worship in our heart is fixed and in functioning condition. So Zerubbabel goes back, rebuilds the temple. Ezra goes back to restore the, the proper way of living in light of God's word. And then Nehemiah goes back to rebuild and restore culture and society. Chapter one, he's burdened by the report. Chapter two, the king asks him, what would you like me to do? We saw how that Nehemiah was ready when opportunity came because he didn't waste the four months of waiting. 
He was preparing during that time, chapter three last week. We, we discussed how it would have been a very easy chapter to skip over. 50 different names in, in 32 different verses, and it was just a list of gates and places in people. And it's one of those chapters that we just can, can read to get to the next chapter. Like, let's just skim over this. Our mind will wander. Okay, I'm done with that. Let's get to chapter four. But we saw how that when, when we do that, we, we, we know that every, every word is inspired of the Holy Spirit. Every sentence, everything included in God's word is profitable for us. So when we do that, we have the potential to miss out on some things, but we looked last week how that it wasn't about their experience that, that Nehemiah was able to use them and really God was able to use them because only once does it mention construction workers. They're rebuilding the wall two and a half miles, nine feet high, or, or 20 feet high, nine feet wide. Only once it mentions construction workers, but it mentions jewelers, it mentions goldsmiths, it mentions perfumers. We talked about Gary the perfumer, those of you that were here with us last week. It, it mentions priests, it mentions common folk, noble folk. It doesn't matter. What, what, what didn't matter is that they didn't have experience. All God's looking for is somebody to be available. What God's looking for is not your resume or, or the experience or the education that you bring to the job. It's are you available? Are you making yourself available to be used by God? And so that's where we were last week. Today, we're gonna to pick up the story in chapter four. And I wanna to talk to you about dealing with opposition. How do I deal with opposition? Because anytime you try and, and build anything or restore anything or revive anything or do anything for God's glory in his kingdom, you will face opposition. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is an enemy out there that is very real. John chapter 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy your business. He wants to destroy your identity. He wants to destroy your purpose. He wants to destroy you in every sense of the word. God has called us to restore, to rebuild. But there is an enemy, and anytime you attempt anything for God, you will face opposition. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, I love this chapter. There are so many principles about facing opposition. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screens for you. It says that Sanballat, now Sanballat we were introduced to in chapter 2. When Nehemiah first returns from Jerusalem, he was there and he said, Who, who are you? What do you think you're doing? Are you, are you here to rebel against the king. From the very moment we're introduced to Sambalat, he's, he's hating and he's talking trash. It says that Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're doing? Do they think that they can build the wall in a single day or just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stone from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that. What's he doing? He's asking questions. It's interesting that this is the same tactic that the serpent used in the garden in Genesis chapter three. Did God really say? It's the same tactic that the devil used when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. If you are the son of God. See, the enemy's 
tactic is to come and ask you questions. Why? Because if he can ask you questions, then it will cause you to doubt. And if you doubt, then he can slip in behind with a lie that will cause you to believe something that is contrary to God's word. He doesn't come out and say, hey, drink this. You're going to ruin your life. He comes subtly in the form of a question. Well, why can't I? Is it really a sin? Everyone else is doing it. He comes subtly and creates these little cracks in the foundation so that he can sneak in. And that's what Samblat's doing. Who do these people think that they are? In verse number three, we're introduced to Tobiah the Ammonite. And Tobiah is the one that I really want to slap. He's just the annoying like tag along guy, right? Like Samblat's the, the main antagonist of Nehemiah and really the rebuilding process. He's got his little minions and Tobiah is one of them. Look at what Tobiah says. Tobiah the Ammonite who is standing beside him remarked, yeah, and that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. And I just imagine Sambalat just like, shut up. Like, right, like nobody asked you. It's like that scene in Anchorman where the two news stations face off and the one guy's like, I didn't know the Salvation Army had a sail on their suits. And then Brick is like, where'd you get your suit? The toilet store? Like that's what this, that's what this reminds me of. Sambalat's like, who do these Jews think that they are? What do, they think they're, what do they think that they're doing? Do they really think that they can accomplish anything great? And so I was like, yeah. And I bet if a cat jumped on that wall, it would fall. <laughs> right, guys? How does Nehemiah respond in verse number four? It says, then I prayed. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. I'm going to start praying that. All the, all the haters. God, may their scoffing fall back on their, on their own heads and may themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt and do not blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. And at last, verse six, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with what? Enthusiasm is what the New Living Translation says. The King James says that they had worked with all of their mind and they had set their mind to it. The NIV, I think, says that they worked with all of their heart. This word enthusiasm, what it really means is it worked, they worked with all of their innermost being. They worked with everything that they had. What are you, what are you enthusiastic about? What, what, are, what are you devoting all of you to? It's time for us to get serious about this thing. It's time for us to, to get into the game. It's, it's, it's not enough to just come into church and patty cake on Sundays, but, but it's time for us Monday through Saturday to get out there and get enthusiastic about something. To start working for our marriages with everything that we have in us to start believing with everything we have in us for the purpose and the destiny of our kids. For working for the freedom that Christ paid for you to have. For working and recovering and taking back the identity that Christ created you with. It's not what I say. It's not what others say. It's not what, what the world says about me. But what does God say about me? It's time for us to be enthusiastic about it. Is anybody enthusiastic today or is it just me? Good. There's a couple of you. As we read Nehemiah chapter four, we, we see Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. Chapter three, they begun the work and, and everybody's working, tells us that it's halfway done and everybody's excited about it. But then 
opposition comes. You will face opposition in your life. Now, now understand that today when I talk about dealing with opposition, I'm not talking about the, the person at work who, who you're competing against for that promotion. I'm not talking about competition, right? That, that is not the opposition that I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about criticism because you can take criticism and you can make any criticism constructive. You can take any criticism and say, God, is there any truth to this? And if there is, help me to, to take it and apply it, to, to use it to make me better. Amen. doesn't matter what they say, God, if it's, if it's a lie, then I'll let it go. But if there's any truth to it, help it to, to fuel me, to make me better. I'm not talking about criticism. I'm not talking about competition. What I'm talking about in opposition is, is those who, who their desire is to see you fail. Your enemy, the enemy of your soul, his desire is to see your marriage fail. His desire is to see every aspect of your life fail. That is the opposition that I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about the lady in the school pickup line who won't let you merge. Like, God, don't, don't blot out her sin. She didn't even signal. God, let that fall back on her. No, that's not what I'm... That's all I'm talking about. Those who would see you fail. Now, now if I'm going to, to deal with and, and overcome opposition, what do I need to do? The first thing that we need to do is we need to expect it. Now, those of you that have been with us in this series, you'll remember in, in Nehemiah chapter two, I told you then to expect opposition. And here I am in chapter four telling you to expect opposition. Why? Because it's not going away. Sam Blatt was hating in chapter two. Here he is hating in chapter four. You skip ahead to chapter six, he's still gonna be hating. Your haters aren't gonna go anywhere. You need to learn to expect opposition. Look at what it says as we continue in Nehemiah four. It says that when Sam Blatt and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the, wait, I thought it was just Sam Blatt and Tobiah. Like where did all these people come? Isn't it crazy how the naysayers just always seem to multiply? Ain't it crazy how it just starts with, with one negative Nancy? All it starts is one Debbie Downer. And next thing you know, there's a whole Facebook group of them. <laughs> and now they've multiplied. And now when they've, they've heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. And they all made plans to come and fight us. Now they wanted to throw down. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even just about talking trash online anymore. It wasn't even just that they were creating Facebook groups anymore. Now they're literally outside of my house wanting to fight me. The opposition, not only does it not go away, but it progresses. The opposition here that Nehemiah faces goes from, from verbal assaults and verbal threats to now physical threats. The opposition in your life is always going to progress. The further you go, the more it progresses. The more you attempt, the more the enemy wants to trip you up. And so the, the, the assault and the opposition will go from thoughts in my head to opportunities and doors that he's opening to roadblocks that he's putting in my path. It goes from, from just a verbal thing or, or, or something that I think about to now there's real opportunity to step out in this thing. The, the, 
the opposition is not going to go away and it tends to progress. What does Nehemiah do? He does the same thing here that he did in chapter one when he heard about the report. Same thing he did in chapter two when the king asked him, what can I do to help you? Says that Nehemiah prayed, right? We just read it, Nehemiah chapter four, verse four. Nehemiah says, then, then I prayed. When you face opposition, you better start praying. You better hit your knees. You better, you better engage heaven's resources to work on your behalf because you can't do it on your own. On. Nehemiah, 13 chapters, 11 times it says that he prayed. This dude's a man of prayer. Yeah. This is, you, will, you will see, he's burdened, he prays. He's given an opportunity, he prays. He faces opposition, he prays. People start acting out, he prays. Every, around every corner, Nehemiah is praying. Why? Because God, it's not enough. I don't have it in me to do this, but I need heaven's resources engaged on my behalf. Then I prayed. Are you praying? Are you spending time in prayer? But, but notice that he doesn't just pray. Verse eight says that they started coming and there was, there was physical assaults. Now they wanted to fight. Look at what he says in verse number nine. It says that they were they were wanting to come down and fight us, so we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Verse four, they're talking trash, so I prayed. Verse eight, they're talking trash and want to throw down, so now I prayed and. There are some battles in your life that you can overcome simply through prayer. There are some things in your life that will present themselves that all you need to do is say the name of Jesus. There is darkness that will present itself that at the name of Jesus, every demon must flee. But there are some times that you better pray and. If we're going to do anything for Christ, if we're going to rebuild and restore and revive anything for the glory of God, we better expect opposition. And when that opposition comes, we better pray and. Pray and. Well, we're just going to pray. We have so many hyper spiritual Christians. We'll just, let's just pray about it. Okay. I'm not saying don't. But what I am saying is ask yourself and ask God, God, what is my role in this, because as I read the scriptures, I see people praying and, right? Like I see the Israelites and the Amalekites in the valley fighting. I see Moses on top of the mountain praying and keeping his arms raised. Because as long as his arms were raised, the Israelites had victory, but if his arms fell, the Amalekites overtook them. So Moses prayed and, and it wasn't just him, but he prayed and got accountability. Joshua prayed and marched around the city for seven days. David prayed and gathered five smooth stones from the stream. Elijah prayed and rebuilt the altar on Mount Carmel. They prayed and they prayed and and they just prayed like, God, please do it. God, you haven't done it yet. They prayed and. Your wife doesn't like that woman messaging you on Instagram. Well, baby, let's just pray about it. You better pray and block her. Yeah. Amen. Come on. That's right. 
You better pray. You better pray and set up some healthy boundaries. I don't like that lady from work texting you. Pray and here's a boundary. It's healthy. Pray for unity in the body of Christ. You know what? I'm going to help some of you out right now. We've been praying for unity in the body. God, make us one. Even as Jesus prayed, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. We recognize that the enemy wants to do nothing more than to divide us and bring division. So, Lord, make us one. Some of you need to pray and unfollow some people on Facebook. I'm just, I'm just saying, if what they're posting is allowing division to creep into your heart, just unfollow them. You don't need to see what they're posting. Pray and. Jesus, I need a job. Lord, you know I've been, I've been out of work and the bills are piling. You better pray and fill out some applications. Like every day I walk into so many places and they have the little sign on them, now hiring. Like if you're hiring and you're hiring and you're hiring, then how are there so many people that can't find jobs? Pray in. Well, I don't want to stock shelves. <laughs> then you don't want victory in your life. You better pray and start being a good steward. Pray and tithe. Pray and join a small group. Pray and get accountability. Pray and pray and start spending time with your kids. Pray and take your wife out on a date. Pray and register for XO conference. Sorry, we're past that. Pray and register for all access. Pray, what, what, are you, what, what is your and? I don't know what you're praying for, but I would encourage you in your praying for, be asking God, God, what is my and? God, what are you, what are you asking me to do to, to play my part in this? Pray, pray and, God, heal my body physically. Pray and put the McDonald's down. God, I have no energy. Pray and drink some water instead of some pop. Listen, it's been two weeks without a pop. Thank you, Jesus. I can do it. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. Right. Pray and. Pray and. Listen, it's prayer. It's prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer gets heaven's resources working on your behalf. But oftentimes we're praying and God's like, okay, now you move. Okay, now, now you go. And we're like, God, move. God's like, okay, you move. I'm waiting for you to move, God. He's like, I am moving. I'm waiting for you to catch up. Prayer without action is foolishness. While action without prayer is prideful. When I pray and don't and, then it shows I have a lack of wisdom. When I act without first praying, it shows I have a lack of humility. I think I can do it on my own, so I'm not going to pray about it. I'm just going to act. Or, God, I, you just do it, and I'm just going to be lazy in it. It's foolish. We need to pray. And let's continue the story because we're running out of time. Verse number 10. It says that then, then the people of Judah began to complain. 
The workers, here's what they said, the workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Group number one, people of Judah. Group number two, meanwhile, our enemies were saying this, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Group number two, group number three, the Jews who lived near the enemy, our neighbors, came and told us again and again, they will come back, they will come from all directions and attack us. See, if the enemy, in verse number one, Sambalat's talking trash and Tobiah pipes up, and then in verse seven, they're, they're, they're making physical threats. And, and if the enemy can't get you to stop the work by his voice, he'll use the voice of your neighbors. Because it goes from, now, from, from just Sambalat talking to now those who live near them, those who, who live around us, who live outside the city, our, our relatives, our family, our friends, those who, who are close to us. If he can't, if the enemy can't get you to stop just by using his voice, he'll use the voice of people close to you. And if he can't get you to stop by using the voice of people close to you, he'll start using your own voice. The people of Judah began to complain. These aren't the enemies and these aren't our neighbors. These are, this, this is us, this is we. We began to complain. You know how crazy it is? And, and I don't know if you found this to be true in your life, but I've definitely found it to be true in my life. Oftentimes the biggest source of discouragement in my life is me. It's my own voice. And it's the enemy coming and planting seeds of doubt by asking questions and, and causing me to question things. And, and after hearing them in my head on repeat and replay, and rather than taking every thought captive, I allow those things to fester after I allow them to fester, I begin to speak them myself. And now it's not the voice of the enemy, but it's the voice of John telling John why he can't. It's the voice, it's the voice of myself telling me while I'll never. If he, can't, if he can't use his own voice, he'll use your neighbor's or he'll use your voice. But if we're going to overcome opposition, we can't get discouraged. That's the third thing I want you to write down. Don't get, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Whether it's the voice of the enemy, the voice of your family or your own voice, don't allow yourself to get discouraged. Well, how do I do that? What did Nehemiah do? He called everybody together. And in verse 14, look at what Nehemiah says. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's okay. Don't, don't be afraid of the enemy, but instead remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. You need to remind yourself of who God is. How do I not get discouraged? By reminding myself of who God is. By reminding myself of who I serve. By reminding myself that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. By, by reminding myself I'm more than a conqueror, not because of me, but it's Christ Jesus in me. By reminding myself of the word of God. My God is great. My God is glorious. And it doesn't matter what you might say. My God is greater than that. Doesn't matter what you might say. I know what he's, his word says about me. I'm, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm his masterpiece. I am of all of his creation. I am the only one created in his image to be in relationship with him, to have communion with him. And so you want to assault my identity? Please, I'm created in the image of the most high to be an image bearer of him. Yes. What were you created for? Amen. Remind yourself of who God is. That's why it's so important for us to know God in the first place. Some of us don't know God. 
Some of us are very shallow in our relationship with him. So when discouragement comes and we go to remind ourselves of who God is and it's like, I don't know, God's, God's the one that wants my money on Sundays. That is not who your God is. God is the one who's just watching me, waiting for me to mess up so he can slap me upside that. That's not, that's not who God is. We need to have personal relationship with God so that when discouragement comes and the enemy comes, we can remind ourselves of who God really is. He reminded himself. I love the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 where, where the prophet and his servant are surrounded by a foreign army. And the servant goes outside and he opens up the door and there's chariots and there's horses and there's swords. And he says, we're, we're, we're in a tight spot. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. They're, they're outside waiting for us. They're going to kill us. And the prophet prays and says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see who's fighting on his behalf. And says that immediately his eyes were open and he saw this angelic host, chariots of fire. A little bit more comfortable at that moment. Because I know it's not just me and this guy, but it's all of heaven fighting on our behalf. See, see, sometimes we need to remind, like David, we need to remind our giant who our God is. We need to, re, we need to remind the opposition who our God is. But there are some times where we need to remind ourselves of who our God is. There's sometimes we need to, to, to say, hey, calm down. Remember, your God is great. And your God is glorious. That's what... That's what he does. Let's go back a little bit to verse 13. Look at what it says in verse 13. It says that I placed armed guards with the threat coming against us. I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families. Why did he station them by families? Because if I'm fighting next to my son, you're going to have to get through me. But if I'm standing next to a complete stranger, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Right, like If someone starts shooting arrows at us, I might duck and cover. But if my wife's standing next to me, you better believe I'm fighting to the death. He says, I stationed them by, by families and I armed them with swords, spears, and bows. What's the principle here when opposition comes? It's this, don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. Fight with your family. Fight with those Fight with those close to you. I think there's so many apathetic Christians today that either one are not fighting or two are trying to fight by themselves. Listen to me, sir. It's time for you to fight for your family. I heard a lot of ladies say, come on to that. And a lot of men remain silent. I said, men, it's time for you to fight for your families. It's time for you to start fighting for your kids. Start fighting for your legacy. Start fighting for your finances. Start fighting for your freedom. Start, start fighting to, to, to overtake and overcome this addiction that you've been dealing with. Start fighting for something. What are you fighting for? We're busy fighting to climb this corporate ladder. Meanwhile, our homes are lying in ruins. Start fighting for your family. It's time for us to fight. There are some things that are worth fighting for. What are you fighting for? Don't try and fight alone. You weren't created to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You need people next to you that can fight with you and can fight for you. And he, he said, stationed by this family. And then over here was this family. And over here was that family. You might be here and say, Pastor John, I don't have any family. 
Maybe I've lost family or I live away from my family and I'm just here and I'm single. Listen, the good news is we've all been adopted into the same family. You don't have family. Look at the person on your right and on your left. That is your family. Join a small group. That is your family. Start serving on Sundays in an area of ministry and create a family there. Who are you fighting with? Who do you have fighting for you? You're just trying to to do it on your own. It's time for us to, to start fighting. As we continue the story, let's look at verse 15. And we're gonna wrap up here in a second. Verse 15, chapter four says that when our enemies had heard that we knew their plans, now we've stationed people, we've got families guarding and, and everybody's got weapons, we're prepared, we're ready. When they heard that we knew their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Continue the story. It says that the laborers, those working, carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. And all the builders had a sword belted to their side. With one hand they worked, and with one hand they carried a weapon. With one hand they were laying bricks, and with one hand they held on to a sword. Angel, bring me that sword. My kids are all serving this service, so I don't have them. I had Isaiah bring it up last time, and he unsheathed it. And as Isaiah unsheathed the sword, he said, for Frodo. <laughs> so, son, we are not going against Mordor right now. It's okay. But as we... As we read Nehemiah chapter four, we see that with one hand they were working and with one hand they were battling and with one hand they were building and with one hand they were guarding. They kept their, their sword on them at all times. They never took it off. They, it says that their, their sword was always belted on their sides. I don't know if you've ever tried to sit down carrying a sword. It's not easy, it's cumbersome. It's always there. It's bumping into things. There's probably people getting cut in the calf like left and right because people are trying to work. Imagine, imagine trying to roof a house with a sword on your side. No, like it would always be there. It's cumbersome. It's inconvenient. But they knew it was important. It might be cumbersome, but they were committed to a cause. Might be inconvenient, but, but I know that if I don't do this, the enemy is going to have the advantage. And I'm not going to give him a foothold in my mind. Amen. I'm not going to give him a foothold in my life. Amen. I'm not going to give him a foothold in my family and in my home. I'm going to work to restore some things with one hand. And in the other hand, I'm going to hold the weapon. You say, well, Pastor John, what do I do? Just walk into work with a sword every day? Yes. Absolutely, and if they won't let you walk in with a sword, you need a new job. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the same thing that the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. That when the enemy comes to attack us, we better pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that we, we are in the world, but we don't do, we don't do battle like the world. Our weapons are not worldly weapons, but our weapons are mighty through God for what? The tearing down of strongholds and breaking agreement with every lie. 
This is how we, this is how we battle. This is how we do war. This is, this is how we combat against the attacks of the enemy. No, you don't need a sword of steel, but you better pick up your word and do battle. And with one hand, I'm going to invest in my marriage. And in the other hand, I'm going to hold on to God's word. And, and in one hand, I'm going to walk in freedom. And in the other hand, I'm going to hold on to the sword of the spirit. And in one hand, I'm going to invest in my children. And in the other hand, I'm going to do work and protect my family. And in one hand, I'm going to, what are we doing? What are you doing? Are you building? Are you defending? You better be doing both. You better be doing both. Look at what it says in verse 21. It says that we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. It's going to be work. Stop being so lazy. Hold on, pastor. So you want me to attend a service on a Sunday? And during the other service, serve in an area of ministry? One, because as a follower of Jesus, I need it to develop myself, but two, so that I can then serve others so that they could be impacted by the word of God? So you want me there for both services. Discipleship classes, Wednesday night? You're asking a lot now. How much are you willing to put in? So every day, sunrise to sunset, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what was going on. It didn't matter if we were tired. It didn't matter if we were sore. It didn't matter if we had other things going on. If Jimmy had a baseball game, guess what? Sorry, Jimmy, we're not going. Why? Because there's some things that need to be rebuilt in our lives. That might be a little too close to home for some of you. What are we, what are we doing? Verse 23, and then we'll be done. Nehemiah concludes this by saying that during this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, none of us ever took off our clothes. Sweet, nobody was working naked. <laughs> and what, like, what, that's, not what, that's, not, that's not what he means. But he says, we carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we were refreshing ourselves. Even when we had maybe a moment to relax, we made sure to take our weapon with us. Why? Because you never know when the enemy is going to be attacking. You never know when the enemy is going to be attacking. And so if we're going to rebuild anything and overcome opposition, we must remain vigilant. We must remain vigilant. He said, we never took off our clothes. Why? Because if they came in the middle of the night, I wanted to be ready. I didn't want to have to get up and put my, put my shoes on and put my belt on and put my sword on. I went to sleep in, in my battle gear. Why? Because I was ready to do war. I was ready to get after it. So many Christians have put their swords down. And they sat down on the lazy boy of their life. And the enemy has broken down the front doors of our homes and the front doors of our hearts and the front doors of our lives and ransacked our house to where now it is in ruin and we're not doing anything about it. We wonder why generations are leaving the church and we wonder why our 
culture and our community is the way that it is. And we wonder why our churches are the way that they are. And we wonder why our lives and our schools and our... It's because we've put down our sword and said, go ahead. What do you want to do? The question is, what are you going to do today? See, as we've talked through the series, it's very easy for us to sit and recognize what needs to be rebuilt. There's something in your life that needs to be rebuilt. I don't need to tell you about that. You know that. And you've known that. The question is, what are you going to do about it? In Nehemiah, in the story of Nehemiah, we see what Nehemiah does. Number one, he prays, he's burdened. God, my heart is broken to the point of doing something about it. He's ready for opportunity. He's not afraid of doing hard work. He's able to overcome opposition. He doesn't quit when the going gets hard. He doesn't quit at the first sign of breaking a sweat. He doesn't quit the first callus that's formed on his hands. No, he says, God, this is what we need to do. This is what needs to happen. Why? Because people are living in despair because there are desperate people in my community who need safety and hope and protection and peace and security. Listen, there are, there are broken people in our communities that need hope and peace and love and joy, and they need what God can provide. But unless we stand up and say, we're ready to do the work and we're ready to rebuild some things and we're ready to revive some things. And God, if you wanna use me to restore anything in my life or in society, God, start with me. Yeah. And if we do that, listen, if we do that, anything is possible. Two and a half miles this wall was. 20 feet high, nine feet wide. Nehemiah chapter six says that on the 52nd day, they were finished. 52 days. Some of you trying to build a house and you've been trying for the last nine months. You wish, you wish Nehemiah would bring some perfumers and goldsmiths to your house. Like, come finish my kitchen, please. In 52 days, they built a wall around an entire city. Why? Because they were unified. Because they were burdened. Because they were committed. Because they were willing to put in the time and the work. Are you willing today? Or do you just want to point out all the things that are wrong everywhere you look? You can do something about it, but you have to be willing to work. I don't know about you, but I want to work. I want to do something. I want to be an agent of rebuilding and an agent of restoration. And God, if you're looking for, for a group of people to revive, start with us. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that here we, we find ourselves 2,500 years after Nehemiah, 2,500 years later, we are reading about your power and your goodness and your might on display. We're reading about you as a, as a God of restoration, the one who, who restores the things that have been broken down. Nehemiah goes to rebuild a broken culture and a broken system. And God, here we are today, we're living in a broken culture and a broken system because any system of man is going to break. 
God, the same principles that we find in Nehemiah, we can apply to our situations today, wherever we find ourselves. God, for those of us that, that there are things in our lives that are in ruin, relationships or, or God, maybe there are, there are life controlling and, and debilitating addictions that we've picked up, habits that we've picked up along the way that, that our lives are in ruin and there's rubble. And every day, even as the, the Israelites, even as the people of Judah, every day they saw the result of their failures. God, I pray that no matter where we find ourselves and no matter what we, what we see as, as in ruin or in rubble, God, that you can restore. God, I pray that you would help us to, help us to take the principles and apply them to our lives. God, that you would burden us today. God, that we would be ready for opportunity when it comes knocking. That we would, we would be willing and we would be available to be used by you, recognizing that it's not, it's not about my experience or my education or my resume. It's simply being available and saying, God, here I am, use me. God, when opposition comes, because it will come, pray that you would give us the grit and the determination that we would, we would expect it. And we would pray and God, those things in our lives that we need to, those ands that we need to do, I pray that we wouldn't let this, this day go without doing the and. God, forgive us for our apathy and our refusing to fight. Forgive us for trying to, in our pride, fight on our own as if we can do it by ourselves. God, help us to remain vigilant. Lord, we thank you that we are more than conquerors. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fight for victory, but we can fight from victory because of who you are and the victory that you've already accomplished. God, I pray that you would go with us this week, that you would help us to see what you see and to hear what you hear and feel what you feel. God, that when we walk into our schools and our workplaces tomorrow, Lord, that we wouldn't see what we've always seen. God, you would burden us with the things that are in ruin. That you would burden us with, with wanting to see revival come. Lord, I pray that you would help us to go as agents of restoration as agents of reconciliation, as agents of revival, with spiritual calluses on our hands because we've put in the long hours and we've, we've done the work, God. We love you and we thank you that it's not about us, but it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Be dismissed. Love you guys. Have a great week. Enjoy the weather. Come on, Jesus. See you guys next week. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.